0: Well, good morning church it is good to see more faces each time that we meet now that's also more bodies but also some of you kind of drop the mask every now and then and wave i think that those who need to wear the mask need to wear them um, and we are pro mask uh, but i would like us to have a selection so i could see expressions like you're going to have a smiley face perhaps during some time in a sermon you take it off turn it upside down to show you're no longer happy that would be nice Let's, however, work with what we've got. We're going to the book of Revelation. Um, If you don't know the book of Revelation really well, here's how it works. It starts by explaining itself. This is written here by this person who is on this island because the Holy Spirit wants to give us this message. And that us were the people that lived there, but there's a lot that applies to us later. So, but hang on, that's how it starts. Then it has messages to seven churches. We looked a a bit of that last week. Going to get three of those cities today. Those messages to those churches at times can seem like, well, that doesn't apply. But the the lessons on how to live in those cities under the kind of rules and laws that they had, that absolutely applies to us. And then we'll do more, we'll finish the seven uh, messages next week lord willing and then dean's going to preach and dean barham's going to preach for two sundays and he's going to help us because the next the next slot is really amazing to me it's it's the core of the book it starts in four five six and then boom you hit seven you are slowly being readied to enter the throne room of god and when you do everything happens And the book changes dramatically, it is fantastic, there will be three cycles of of visions, all of them telling the same thing, but in different ways. And it will talk about the reality of spiritual warfare, the reality of living in a fallen world as a believer. So let's do a few of the messages today. We'll start with Smyrna. It was a beautiful port city. Uh, This is in Revelation 2, if you want to line up for it. Beautiful port city. It was famous for its beauty and its loyalty to Rome. It was a pro-Rome city. In fact, cities would often compete with each other to show who was more loyal to Rome than the other cities. And to be honest, I don't know where Smyrna would have ranked numerically, but it would have been very much near the top. They were more loyal, more obsequious. They, they did more parades, more, more um, offerings, more songs to the, uh, the emperor than almost all the others that I can find. But it was over the top. And Christians, we have a different country. We have a different nation. We are, our nation are, are, are the believing people. No matter where they come from, no matter what color what economic what political our belief is that all who call upon the lord and have received jesus christ those that's our nation those are our people and so the people the christians in smyrna were struggling but it gets worse the real power in smyrna were the trade guilds now there's really no no way to explain this to uh, to us today with a, um, a an example that we all know about trade guilds were like unions but with superpower you could not do a trade unless you were in the trade guild and the trade guilds had not only high standards for what you had to know they were devoted to the emperor and to Rome and so at every stage you had to offer incense to say caesar is lord You had to go through all of this, or you couldn't be in the club. And that meant you couldn't get a nice job. It was expected. All of their meetings, all of their board meetings, all of their staff meetings, that you would pinch a little incense and say, Caesar is Lord, or you would offer a few drops of wine and say, Caesar is Lord. And the Christians in Smyrna would not do that, and so they were locked out of the good jobs. That's why Jesus speaks to them like this. To the angel of the church of Smyrna, write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they're Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Can't get that phrase hit you. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. There is nothing in here that says you're not going to be hurt by the first one. There's nothing in here that says you're not going to suffer. He says you are it's going to be hard don't rush past the facts of life here by by not understanding what he was telling them to do it would have been so easy to just they're just little words just say caesar is lord just get along you don't have to do much you don't even have to mean it you say it because that's what people do and then you can you can have a, a better life but not saying it, condemned not only you, but your children to the lowest level in society. The only uh, equal in our world that we could talk about, and it would be great if some of you saw years and years ago, I think it was back around in the mid-90s or something, the movie City of Joy that was placed in Calcutta with the untouchables. Now, by the way, if you go Google it later, And you Google untouchables, you get an Elliot Ness movie. And I'm sorry. Uh, So City of Joy. Uh, In the poorest section of the poorest country that could be imagined are the Dalits, the untouchables. You are born into the caste. You may never leave the caste. Those people are never allowed to move up. Now, since, since the 1970s, all of this has been illegal in India and it has not changed. It's illegal only on the books. And these little kids are are made to go up pipes to move sewage with their hands because no other job is open to them. They are untouchable. Smyrna Christians are being told, you don't give an inch to the state. You are Christian. And there's a reality to this. The persecution of Christians would not end soon. In Smyrna. In fact, it went on for generation after generation. Almost 60 years later, in 156 AD, one of the most famous executions took place. It was a great Christian leader named Polycarp. He was killed in Smyrna because he professed that Jesus is Lord and would not worship the Emperor. And they had tried not to kill him for a while because he was very well known among Christians. He was very well known in the cities. He had written so much, had a lot of power that way, always exercised in love and grace. But they finally sentenced him to death. And as he stood there, just before they killed him, they offered him one more chance. Say, Jesus is Lord. Deny Christ. And he said famously, Eighty and six years have I served Christ, and he has never done me wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? He was killed. That was Smyrna for generations. Notice that God did not say, you know something? If you just pray well enough and you live well enough, it's going to stop the suffering. Or if you stand up and you say, you know, really important words, then it will stop the suffering. He says, no, it's coming coming. It's very interesting to me, and, and troubling, frankly, when I run across folk who believe that their prayers are magical and that God will just stop the world for them. And I'm going, We're, this is our storm. This is our opening of the seals, whether it's the trumpet or the scroll or, or whatever it is. This is our storm. We're to live in faith in the storm, not to ask God to give us all nice days but to be faithful in the storm. Smartam was hanging tough. They they knew Ecclesiastes, they knew Job, they knew God was not gonna take the storm away and their job was not to beg that it end, but their job was to be faithful through it and that's brutally hard sometimes. I would never suggest otherwise. It's brutally hard not just to you, but to your family, your friends remember that the phrase the Jews who say they're Jews but they're not their synagogue of Satan specifically says these are not the Jews as a people but a group that were causing the Smyrna church problems we don't know the exact problem they were causing but we have a pretty good guess from early writings that um, I'll back up just a bit Roman rule generally tolerated religions But they had to be official religions registered with the government this is still very true in many 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 countries today well the the romans looked upon the jews and the christians as the same because they they, the christians grew out of the jews and the jews were all invited into this and god wanted all of us to be saved now but when the persecutions hurt uh started and the romans were trying to find scapegoats and they'd start going after the Jews for something something a, a Christian said. The, Christ, the Jews were saying, hey, they used to be us, they're not. And they were shoving them out as a target. That's the guess. But again, small percentage of Jews, let's not be against Jews. Understand what was going on. Jesus was warning them that this was not gonna be forgotten, but it would not end well for them on earth, but it would end well for them in heaven sometimes we need to understand religion is not an escape shoot we have a job to do there is evil to be fought and then pergamum wow the more we know about pergamum the happier i am i don't live there but maybe we do we'll find out (laughs) to the angel of the church in pergamum write? these are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword okay we'll understand this more in a bit I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. This is probably not on the brochure uh, for moving to Pergamum. Yet you remain true to my name. That makes me so proud of them. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. The white stone and name, um, in many, many cultures, including this one, you had a public name and a private name. And in some cultures, uh, the private name was never shared with others. And nobody could do any harm to you if they didn't have the power of your name. You had a hidden name it's it's a very we're a very far away from Pergamum but only in one way it was a large city 180,000 and it had a, a huge hill in the center that was covered with temples massive temples they were dedicated to the Emperor um, the first and the largest was Augustus remember the Caesar who taxed and started the road to Bethlehem the largest was to him but there were also temples to Dionysus, Athena, Asclepius. Asclepius was the god of healing, and his, um, his animal was a snake crawling up a staff. And as you see, medical, even today, has the caduceus uh, from Ascepolis, the um, staff and the, the snakes entwined. It's where it comes from. By the way, I don't think there's anything wrong with wearing that, because I don't believe Asclepius exists. But... It's up to you. Anyway, just to me it's interesting, it may not be to you, just a little factoid. The second largest library in the world was in Pergamum. They looked upon themselves as quite intelligent. They were actually in a race trying to get more library space and more books than Alexandria. Alexandria, with its famous massive library, decided we can't let this happen so they banned all shipments of papyrus to Pergamum so Pergamum figured out how to write on animal skins, vellum, parchment. It was, you know, the politics of the day. But they thought, we're smart, we can do this. But they had forgotten something, and that is that there was another God, and the only God. They'd missed him. I want to take a, a stop here and just say, I've, um, we don't live in a place that has temples like this, except we kind of do whenever you talk to missionaries who are off in the jungles and in the bush, uh, they will often talk about demonic work and and spiritual warfare. And I've had a lot of Christians ask me, well, why doesn't that happen here? It does. But Satan doesn't have to advertise here. Because he's already got us. We already worship sex, power, money, position, authority. We already worship all that stuff. He's already got it. You don't need to advertise that you know, that's we're already swallowed. We're already in a place where the temple of Satan lives. We need to remember that, and therefore not become a part of it or ally ourselves to a part of it. People were already being killed in Pergamum. Um, in fact, uh, we already Antipas was actually about the twelfth one we think so far killed in Pergamum. Jesus warns them though don't weaken don't back up you have to face forward he said some of you are weakening by offering sacrifices to idols uh, the teaching of Balaam which is basically we we know there is God but we got to go along to get along he's going no because they're going along first of all was just wrong but was even leading them into hanging around the idols and then to sexual immorality. And our, city, and our cities and our towns are soaked with it. Again, we cannot deny this. Satan has been a much better evangelist than we have been. And then going further, the Nicolaitans we talked about last week, it, it is not exactly known what their teaching was, but it seems to be some form of antinomianism that there is no law. That if you're a Christian, uh, kind of proto-gnostic, if you're a Christian, then you don't you're not really worried about rules and he says no no very often each group now it's interesting because Balaam and the Nicolaitans were both involved in the church it's interesting we tend to do something let's be very honest about ourselves we tend to do a circle of these are the sins we think God's okay with and I'm going to stand here But their sins that they think God's okay with are over there. Might be a Venn diagram where we kind of blend a little bit, but we're still separate. How many churches are established because we think these sins are okay, but those sins are not? They would never say this, but we tend to do it in our head. Remember what we said last week. The law of love covers it. If I love you, I will not sexually misuse you. If I love you, I will not break up your family. If I love you, I will not hurt you. I will not take your stuff. If I love you, I will be on your team, walking beside you, helping you carry things. I will not be throwing rocks, empty hands, open arms. That's the law of love. And it covers a lot more than sitting around having good feelings. And the law of love can lead you to a place where you will die. But Jesus says, go anyway. When Satan cannot destroy us, using outside enemies, we need to remember he can get the people inside the community to sin, causing a rot from within. That double-edged sword, Pergamum was known for making swords and using them because Pergamum had a rare privilege in the Roman Empire. They were allowed to uh, issue and carry out the death penalty. Most Roman cities could not. Famously, Paul was mistreated, and he told him, I'm a Roman citizen, and that shut down everything. And he had to go to Rome, if you remember. Pergamum, you can go ahead and be killed. They didn't have, you, you, you couldn't get to Rome if they decided to kill you. So swords were everywhere to show you the power of the city. Jesus says, I got a sword too. Now, he's not asking Christians to grab swords and get in the streets and fight and kill That would be so against everything Jesus stood for. Instead, the sword of his mouth, God can make declarations saying, you're done. And the worst thing, the worst thing God could do to you in the Old Testament had nothing to do with the, the plagues of Egypt. The worst thing God could do to you is when he said, I withdraw my hand. I'm done with you. Live without the protection and care of God. And you can't here he says, I can make declarations. Watch out. God does not miss his target. And then Tyra, I just like saying Thyratyra I, I think I, they, they were struggling, but I still would love more Thyratyra city names. Anyway, to the angel of the church and Thyratyra, right, these are the words of the Son of God. And I love this. Once so again, we're looking at Almost Daniel here. Uh, that, the image in Daniel, not Daniel himself. Whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds. First of all, that repeats so much off. We need to realize God is watching. God sees. Um, this has been a little heavy and such, so let me just tell you. My, my father was super, 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 super conservative. So we, we were never allowed to go swimming because people don't swim and fully dressed uh, unless their, their ship went down. Uh, otherwise, they don't. Well, we went to a place where there was a large beach, and, but it was, it was pretty much nobody there. Uh, well, it was nobody there. We'd see cars every now and then. So we were allowed to frolic a bit in the waves. Um, my mum and my sisters, they wanted to do a picnic, and there was a picnic place a mile or so down the way. And, and Dad said, "Why don't you drive down? Patrick and I will just walk the beach, and we'll we'll meet you. Good plan." And so we're walking the beach, and we do a little curve, and there's everybody, everybody. Not a lot of clothes, a lot of people. Now they they the a nudist beach, but you know we're getting there. My dad said, "Patrick, put your head down." <laughs> I don't know I was probably 12 or 13 you know and just um, he, he was terrified I might be a hormone with legs you know just put your head down <clears throat> and we walked through silently it was like a Fellini film those of you who studied such things uh, we're, we're walking through till we finally get all not a word till we get all the way out and around the corner and, and my dad said I'm sure glad Jesus didn't come back when we were in that we walked on a little bit more and I stopped and I said dad I think he knew. It's not, it's not, he knew we were in it, but he knew, you know, um, that whole idea of, oh, I'm glad Jesus didn't catch us. I know your deeds. But here it's good. Your love and your faith, your servants, your perseverance, and that you're doing, you're now doing more than you did at first. Yes. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling, so I'll cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If you're a person that um, buys commentaries and books on books, you will find that there are bits of that which are under great dispute. Uh, as a, what, is that, what does that mean? So let's, let's talk. It was a tiny town, frankly, but once again ruled by trade guilds, so the Christians were suffering. It seems there was a woman prophet there, not a group of women and not a mixed group, but a, a, a person who was misleading the people by claiming she knew deep secrets about Satan. And that if Again, proto-gnosticism. That is, if you have this knowledge, then you're safe. And so she would teach, well, there are ways to avoid. And if we do this, you know, think think of the superstitions people have. If you spill salt, you're supposed to throw some over your shoulder or something. That makes zero sense. It makes less sense to the person standing behind you. Just don't do that. It's just wrong. But we have these things. Knock on wood. These things actually come from old gods and stories but people do them and she probably was coming up with some sort of procedure you could do to make it okay and say well then this is alright because and says no this was causing people to lose their fear of Satan I've said many times if you send your children out to play in a meadow you give them a sandwich, a bottle of water that's, that's pretty cool playing in the meadow is cool unless there's a dragon in the meadow in which case they need more we need to remember there's a dragon in the meadow there's an enemy we cannot feed the enemy do we have the first john passages thank you so much larry dear friends do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from god Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Then Deuteronomy, you may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously, so do not be alarmed. There, if a prophet or one among you foretells by dreams, appears among you, announces to you by a sign or a wonder, and if the sign or wonder spoken of takes place, and the prophet says, let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, let us worship them, you must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. First commandment, Christian no other gods we have no other gods our focus is on Jesus the passages about Thyatira when it says they will have authority over the nations and a morning star it's not entirely clear to us what that means there are people who are very certain they know what it means but they disagree with other people that are very certain they know what it means and it's just a reminder we're reading somebody else's mail but there is a point here i think we can pull from this jesus calls himself the morning star later in this book but they also name lucifer and the name lucifer literally means morning star satan will always masquerade as if he is jesus so you've got to check does this look like jesus is this what jesus would do in this circumstance regardless of any earthly consideration What would Jesus do here? Regardless of any earthly rule, tradition, culture, law, what would Jesus say? What would Jesus do? And we do that even if it causes us harm because there is no other God but our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we focus there. It seemed that Satan wants Jesus' title, the morning star, The morning star was also um, considered to be Venus, uh, and of course they worshipped Venus in various forms uh, and under different names. But why that morning star? Because after dark, the morning star gives you hope. Day is coming. And so that first star that they see was actually a planet, but we understand that. Uh, that morning star up there is allowing. We have hope in the darkness. Jesus is saying, "Make sure you're looking at the right one." The most famous example of failing to do this was when um, the, I think, his grandson of John F. Kennedy, drove his plane into the sea off Martha's Vineyard about 20 some years ago. Whenever they able to, you know, the national, um, the NTSB looked at it, did all the work, and they said. It was under full power, and it looked intentional, but it wasn't suicide. They figured out he was not looking at his instruments. He was looking at the stars, and he was flying thinking he was gaining altitude, but he wasn't seeing the stars. He was seeing the reflection of the stars on the water, and he went down. This is more common than you might think. Jesus is saying, check the instruments. Make sure you're flying by Jesus. How's that? Jesus rules Jesus' ways. Satan wants to dress up like an angel of light, but he's going to ask you to do something Jesus wouldn't, or to do it in a way that Jesus wouldn't. We pay attention. And so, we focus on the only place we can focus to get the blessing. Uh, Would you bring your group back up, please? While we... All stand, please, for the reading from God's holy word. For such people are false apostles. Remember, they're all among us. The world is just full of them. Deceitful workers masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising, then, if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. And then our blessed brother John, in his old age, wants to remind us, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming and even now already in the world. Antichrist, as we will find as we go through this book, is not a person. It's a lifestyle, a thought, a belief that goes against our Lord. We want the blessing offered to the churches of Asia. To do that, we have to focus on Jesus.